1: Da, da,
2: da, 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 da. Johnny McMullen, what's going on, my friend? Uh, how was your day at the Link Financial Field there yesterday?
3: Oh, who doesn't want to be at the link for a uh, last minute practice shift over there?
2: <laughs> Expedited yeah. practice there. Uh, what's going on, everybody? How you doing? My name is Mark Farzetta. I am a, a Mark, not a Mac. I'm filling in for one of the Macs, Jody Mac. Uh, today and tomorrow as well. John McMullen will be with us here for the first half hour of the show. Look forward to that conversation. We'll also be joined by Bill Calarulo, who will be joining us coming up uh, at 8.30, shortly after 8.30. And then we'll be joined by Mike Gill of 97.3 ESPN South Jersey to talk all things Eagles and kind of look around the NFC East to see if there even really is a threat uh, to the Eagles at this point. So now's the time where we feel ourselves a little bit there, John. But uh, the Eagles... Eagles were feeling themselves a little bit of practice yesterday. Here's here's what I find interesting. John, yesterday was such a big day in Philadelphia sports that there was a, uh, from what I understand, a vicious fight at training camp. And nobody gives a damn because Michael Lorenzo threw a no-hitter yesterday for the Phils But a fight nonetheless. What happened in that little tussle?
3: Yeah, Well, I don't think it was a fight. I think it was more of a pushing match. But yeah, because it involved Derek Barnett, I think it got uh, a little bit more hype than it probably deserved. You know, I happen to be standing basically right in front of it, and I was on the defensive side. Um, and I saw, I, you know, it kind of depends where you are, right? If you're doing these things, it's not on TV. A lot of guys are on the other side of the sideline with the offensive guys. It's Derek Barnett. He's got the reputation. But I got to tell you, Mark, I was like 10 feet away from the defensive guys. They were not happy. They were. They thought it was a dirty block. Um, and it was borderline and all of a sudden Derek Barnett gets up, pushes Landon Dickerson, then it becomes, Oh, it's Derek Barnett. It's always him, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. People are going to default to because of Derek's rep reputation, but it's one of those things in camp. I think was it. it it's again, it was definitely overblown because of who was involved. Um, Ultimately, though, it's not a penalty unless they call it, and they didn't call it, and Derek <laughs> Barnett's got to get – that's the one – that's a legitimate criticism. If it's a game, maybe it did get screwed, but you can't, you can't make it worse by getting 15 yards on top of it, and we've seen that too much with Derek Barnett.
2: Just looking at people's account of the situation and reading your account of the situation and listening to it right there, it, it sounds like – the hit wasn't necessary for it being a practice for a guy returning from an ACL injury.
3: Well, yeah, that's part okay. of it too. He's returning from the, it, it, there was one defensive player who was really fire, fired up from the sidelines, veteran defensive player. I don't want to, uh, but, you know, basically said, clean it up, even though we don't have to on YouTube, uh, come <laughs> on Landon, you know, one of those types of things. So mm-hmm. um Yeah. Probably not necessary uh, for a guy coming back from an ACL injury. And that's probably why he was a little bit more upset than maybe he would have been if it were a normal situation where he wasn't coming off that rehab. And maybe the underreported part of this, all of this is man, they're trying to get Derek Barnett involved. I, I you know uh, I'm I'm sitting here looking at this defensive line and we were talking about Moro Jomo, uh rookie speaking after practice. They have so many guys who belong in the NFL. You can't play all of them. Um and Derek Barnett's he's he's like the fifth edge rusher, but they're it's only practice, right? But they're trying to get him involved. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking first team reps. I, I, it's Sean decides thrown a lot of starting the kitchen sink at the, the offense over the past couple of days. I don't know if it's, I think it's more about evaluation, trying to see what he has with certain players. But I, I think I mentioned yesterday on the show with you, you know, he had a poor safety look, he had a poor defensive tackle look, some of this wacky stuff. Um, and Derek Barnett's part of that. They got those five-man fronts. Josh Sweat dropping in the coverage. Derek Barnett's dropping in the coverage. Um, some wacky stuff. So maybe maybe Eagles fans will get what they want because you know they thought Jonathan Gannon was too vanilla. Right,
2: right 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 um to, to just put a as jody would say to put a bow on the tussle the shoving match just as far as what started it did you think that the block was you said borderline maybe did you, did you think it was an unnecessary kind of hit for a practice did you think it was called for what did you think of it
3: um it's one it, it was a wide receiver screen uh which you know for anyone who watches this show drives me crazy i can't stand that play um it's the ugliest play in football I did not know
2: that, but I literally just ended my show with a rant on the bubble screens because yeah. I am not a fan of the, the wide receiver bubble screen. But
3: yes, go ahead. And by the way, it worked. They got a first down. It was a backed up period. Uh, but that's the thing. In college, it's kind of fine. I think you know that kind of trickled up from college. College is like the wild, wild west. You can block whoever the hell you want. You can go downfield. They don't care half the time. In the NFL, they're more stringent. How many of those illegal man downfield penalties that we've seen for the Eagles over the past two years since Nick Sirianni has gotten there. They're a lot stricter. So my point of saying that is they could have called it a penalty. They might have not called it a penalty. Uh, The officials on the field didn't call it a penalty in a real game they might have, and that's why I say borderline. So it was successful uh, on that particular day, but yeah. I'm not in love. I'm not in love with the play, as as people know. Uh,
2: So to back to what you were saying about Derek Barnett, because it's going to be a conversation that we're going to talk about, or it's going to be a talking point for the rest of the show. I I, I love using this line because it's one of my favorite movies ever. But when it comes to Derek Barnett, I'm reminded of the line from Office Space. What is it you say you do here, Really? So looking at Derek Barnett, I look at him, look, I, I, I root for everybody that puts on a Philadelphia Eagles jersey. I want them to have a great year. I want them to give this city a parade. I want us to have a party because of how they play. But with Derek Barnett, I think the most optimistic thing I could say about him is he will be a decent rotational player. Is that the bar for Derek Barnett? Do the Eagles actually think it's higher than that? Do you agree with that bar? Where do you sit on Derek Barnett and what it is exactly that he does here?
3: Um, I agree with your description. He's a solid rotational player. Um, yeah, the Eagles think more of him than everybody else. Um, they <laughs> like him as a player. Uh, they think he's a, a really good player. Um, Jody and I have discussion all the time. He was a first round pick, right? Um, and he's a disappointment as a first round pick. And, and, and Jody will always say at some point, you got to forget about the pedigree. Like TJ Edwards turned into a great player. Um, but he was undrafted. Some people won't come off that. They're like, Hey, but he was undrafted. Look at him on the field. Now I'm seeing the same thing with Reed Blankenship. Um, Guy's just a good player. I don't care if he was undrafted. I, I don't know if he's going to get the TJ's level, but we'll see. Conversely, and this is where Jody and I take pass, like he won't get off the fact that he was a first-round pick. That, that, so my point is the two things are not mutually exclusive. Yes, he shouldn't have been a first-round pick, but that doesn't make him a bad football player. In other words, if he were picked in the third or fourth round, you'd say, oh, that guy's pretty good. So at some point, you have to put that it works both ways. You have to put the first round nonsense in the background and say, well, can he help me? Is he a good football player? He's a good football player. Is he worthy of being the 14th pick in the draft? No. Mm -hmm. And that's why guys like that usually get their second chance in other cities because people never forget it. He's a first-round pick. He's a first-round pick. He's a 1st He didn't live up to it. He's not Reggie White. He went to Tennessee. broke his sack records. All that nonsense. He carries that baggage in Philadelphia. If he went to another city, and probably Derek should have, to be honest, he would have gotten a second chance, and they would have been, eh, he's a pretty good player. He's a rotational defensive man. That's what I think he is. Um, but the Eagles don't even need that if they're healthy, because it's Reddick, it's Sweat, it's BG, and it's Nolan Smith. Where, what, what you know, yeah, it's a great insurance policy if one of those guys gets hurt. But it's an insurance policy, uh, a luxury maybe. Yeah. even uh,
2: yeah uh so, so to, to your point because he's a first round i mean i think let's call it what it is if he's not a first round
3: pick is he still here yes
4: oh you think I he think is it, still at, here
3: in fact i i think he'd be if he was a third round pick i think you know he he'd be in better steed because they would you know he'd have the it, it would be a different framework it would be oh that guy's solid um but once you have that tag he, you're the 14th pick in the draft. The 13th pick was Hassan Redick. Um, once, once you have that tag on you, you got to perform like you're the 14th pick in the draft. So, yeah, that that has certainly hurt him uh, in this city. People, people will not recognize he's not a terrible player. Um. And, you know, there are certain guys you will see that you know, well, you know, we're up against it if they're on the field, if you're a fan, Um, Nicholas Morrow, you're probably up against it. If he's got to play a lot, it's probably going to be an issue. He's not that guy. He's, He's a solid player. Not a great player, solid player.
2: Gotcha. Um, one of the things I saw, uh, I think you were on with uh, Mike Gill yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. I think you were doing a hit with Mike, who's going to be our guest at 920 today. Uh, and you were talking about the backfield. And Nick Sirianni has said the same thing about the running backs as he said pretty much about the, the right guard spot. There might be a front runner, but Nick Sirianni says, oh, no, Cam Jergens, I don't have to name the number one guy just yet, <laughs> so we're not going to say anything but this backfield there's the, the stable of running backs that the eagles have right now with Kenny Gainwell and DeAndre Swift and obviously uh, Rashad Penny and all these guys everyone knows the roster but there there seems to be a front runner for the guy that's closest to rb1 right now who is that man john
3: mcmullen kenny gainwell kenny yeah. gainwell what yeah. i know i get so much grief over that like what do you, I, I i'll never say i'll never stop saying it mark i think people want me to lie to them look i i mean just because you think rashad penny is rashad penny first round pick again first round pick coming into the league when he was healthy all right he's not that he's been injured 150 times um deandre swift st joe's prep billy kid blah 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 he was went to georgia 35th pick in the draft Has never run for more than 617 yards. Um, They like Kenny Gainwell, and Kenny Gainwell is the one getting the most reps with the first team, and more than that, getting the most high leverage reps. Reps. They were backed up on that drill we were just talking about with Derek Barnett. That came in a backed up period. Where they're coming off the goal line. That's a two yard line. So they work on that. Who was in there? First down, rush for five yards. Kenny Gainwell. Red zone work, first team. Who's in there? Kenny Gainwell. First team running it up the middle. Um, it's August 10th. You know, over the next week, they have two preseason games, they have two joint practices uh, with the Cleveland Browns. There's still time for other people to close the gap, especially with the pads on um, at that particular position. But if they were playing a game, if they were playing a real game against Baltimore on Saturday, Kenny Gamewell would be the starting running back. Wow.
2: Uh, well, wow. uh, I know a lot of people looking at that and they're surprised because they, like you said, they want to be lied to. But you got to tell it, you got to call it as you see it, there, John. Um. So honestly, this with Kenny, well, Kenny Gainwell being here, DeAndre Swift being here, and like I mentioned, the stable of running backs and all that, are the Eagles going to miss Miles Sanders this year, or are they going to be pretty set at the running back position?
3: Um, I don't think they're going to miss him that much, but I think it has more to do with the quarterback and the offensive line, to be honest. Um, you know, I think the quarterback helps the running backs on this team by uh manipulating the spacing of, of the defense. Um, any offensive line is just you know, if those guys are healthy and yeah, Cam Jurgens, sorry, Nick, he's the starter at right guard, you're not fooling anybody. Um, he's looked fine, um, no issues whatsoever. It's the best offensive line in football the eagles defense mark cannot stop the the quarterback run game they can't it's embarrassing and part of that is is jalen hurts but they can't even start it with stop it with marcus mariota um they can't stop it um and that's but luckily if you look at their schedule they start out with mac jones and kirk cousins and I forget who week three Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. They don't see somebody who can gash them like Jalen could until Josh Allen in November, like Thanksgiving time, mm. barring injuries or, you know, um, other quarterbacks, backups starting to play, things like that. Um, but they're really having a, a difficult time of it. And that's Jalen. I mean, it's hard to stop. Plus Plus, mean plus one in the running game means plus one in the running game. You can't account for him. That's why it's so difficult. So I don't think they have a running back as good as Miles Sanders, but I don't think they will miss him that much. Should, should I be worried about Sean Desai getting sliced up by uh, Jalen Hurts and uh, Marcus Mariota? Should that be a concern? Um, a
2: little bit. I mean, they are wearing um, red jerseys. I mean I will yeah, say that
3: they are wearing red jerseys, but you know to hit somebody you would have to be near them um <laughs> fair point when they when they run the quarterback draw, it's like the red sea parting um yeah i I' would be worried a little bit about it, but if you look at their schedule, they don't face many guys. Like, they're not basing Lamar Jackson. They're not basing um, uh, the kid in Indianapolis. Uh, uh, They are in the preseason. But, you know, like I said, Josh Allen would be the first one, um, which is Thanksgiving time. So they luck out a little bit from that perspective. Um, So I wouldn't be terribly concerned. But when it does arrive they don't look prepared. Now it's August 10th. Part of that is Nicobi's not there. Although when N'Kobe was healthy, they couldn't stop it. Um, You know, Miles Jack just got here. Zach Cunningham just got here. They don't have linebackers. That's part of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, they haven't been good at it Hmm. defensively. Um, Is that, I don't think that's necessarily Sean Desai driven. I'm more concerned that. Howie Roseman's got to scream at the defensive coordinator that, oh, this is one versus twos, Mr. Attention to Detail. Um, I'm more concerned about the sloppiness than anything else. Uh, right.
2: I got two more things, three more things I want to tee up for, and and that's definitely one of them. So you brought it up. What happened? Howie Roseman had to correct Sean Desai as to what drills they were running?
3: Yes. 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 Um, not a good luck.
2: Okay, first, let me just let me just interject for one second. For anyone that ever thinks that Howie Roseman doesn't have his fingerprints on everything, remember this story. Now the floor is yours when it comes to Howie Roseman telling Sean, okay. to "Decide, hey, we did, we
3: did the wrong drill, bro. What happened? What happened there?" Um. Yeah, I mean that basically sums it up. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, I mean people are going to overblow because it's Howie. Like if you remember Jonathan. Mention Howie. I, I asked him a question. I forget the question it was. And he and he was talking about Howie and game planning. And we get together with Nick and Howie. And people are like, you get together with Howie game planning? Right, yeah. And he just kind of misspoke. He was talking about roster. Obviously, Howie's in charge of the roster. So he's talking about personnel, who's up, who's not up, things like that. He's not involved with game planning. Hmm. Similar type of thing. Howie's not always, but usually on the field. Um, he is very involved. And, you know, they they missed the defensive staff, and it's not just Sean. And that's the bigger concern. All right. You know, it's not like this is new. The Eagles kind of do it that way. It's usually ones versus ones, but then they have a period where it's ones versus twos. And they didn't get the memo, and Howie was just correcting him because he was closest to him. Um, so it'll get overblown, but it ain't good. <laughs> that doesn't it doesn't sound uh,
2: great, doesn't sound no. great.
3: No, it, um, and and the Eagles, by the way, already got you know upset about it. Oh, he's not because you know, <laughs> you know. Um and 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 that's true. It's not it's not like he's being overbearing or yelling at the defensive coordinator who's just trying to get the right people in for the drill, but that's Sean's job. Get the right people in for the snake drill. And by the way, Nick Suriano said, "Why did why'd you hire Sean Desai?" Great attention to detail. Really? Well, that's not great attention to detail. <laughs> uh,
2: for what it's worth, I remember Chip Kelly talking about Billy Davis with a great attention to detail. But anyway, um, that, a couple more for you. Uh, I, I, this is gonna live rent free in my head. Uh, Nicobe Dean was somehow magically back in practice uh, yesterday. Uh, what was he uh, what was his status at practice? How did he look at practice uh, after the Eagles made two acquisitions at the linebacker position uh, in Cunningham in uh, and Jack? Uh, all of a sudden, the Kobe Dean's back out there. What was he doing? How'd
3: he look? Um, he, he just, he was back, but limited, only worked in individual drills. So he didn't do any teamwork. Um, so we're not going to get a feel for how the Eagles are going to handle linebacker moving forward until he gets back on the field, probably against Cleveland. I, I doubt very much he plays against um, Baltimore or they put him back in team drills today because then then, you get the question, well, why is he not playing against Baltimore? Um, so, my guess is he'll be limited again today. Um, he will not play in the game. And then he'll be back next week for the joint practices against Cleveland. And then you'll get to see how they're going to handle it. Because until N'Kobe's there, you know, like Miles Jack, it's kind of, it, they threw him right in. He's getting first team reps with Nick Morrow as sort of a pass um, defense duo. And then he's getting third team reps with Ben Van Um And Zach Cunningham's getting second team reps with Sean Bradley. That's how they've been handling it without N'Kobe. With N'Kobe, I get the sense that they think Zach is the better run defender and Miles is the better pass defender. So they might piecemeal it. Early downs, N'Kobe, Zach Cunningham. Obvious passing situations, N'Kobe, Miles, Jack. Or it could be they both have nothing left and they go with Christian Ellis or Nick Morrow or Mark Barzetta or somebody outside the organization. Yeah. I Everything's go side- on the table at linebacker.
2: I can go side to side, John. I can go yeah. side to side, man. Sideline to sideline. Good, All good day.
3: lateral movement.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the great hit movement. Good, no doubt. Great
3: tremendous <laughs> lateral movement you're great you're a manny mota like pinch hitter <laughs> on um, on birds 365 you you do it all hey you've seen me hoop man you you were our coach you are what, what, yeah.
2: when, when we took on the
3: uh what was it the the sprinkles union yeah i i, I i'm on one too shockingly
2: john you know you know what you know i i think you i think you've lost the locker room to be honest with you um When uh, Miles Jack addressed the media yesterday, he was talking about jobs he was going to undertake if he didn't return as a linebacker in the NFL. How close did he really get to trade school? John, he said he wanted to uh, be a plumber or a carpenter or an electrician. Electrician. Yeah. Yeah. We might be playing basketball against him next year. Who knows? Um,
3: But uh, how, how serious was he about applying his, uh, you know, for trade school? uh, I think it was pretty serious. I mean, he, he said he's got a lot of money. He doesn't have to do anything, but he's not one of those people that wants to uh, sit around and do nothing. Um, so I think it was pretty serious. I like the fact that he's like for the pending zombie acop- uh, apocalypse, uh, he wants to be able to build something or fix something in case, you know, you got to be ready for the zombies. So I like, I like <laughs> his thought process um you know i'm i'm dead in the water if the zombies show up i, I can't fix anything so
2: i, I was gonna know. ask you uh, two things on this subject john just for some funsies here before we uh we wrap up with you and, and you go to your eagles responsibilities here uh if it was a zombie ap- apocalypse what's what's john McMullen doing what are you like the first to
3: go on the tv show oh, for yeah. zombie apocalypse, I, I, or I, 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 oh, i'm the first to go Oh, really? six! I've had six knee operations. I don't have good lateral movement, Mark. So I'm. It depends. Is uh-huh. it World War Z zombies uh-huh. that chase you down, like they run four four in the forty? I I got no shot. If it's the old school, you know, walking like, you know, they they move ten inches every ten minutes. Then I got, yeah, I got some savvy. I can, I can survive that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they can run like the Brad Pitt movie. Yeah. I got no shot. Gotcha. Um, All right. And then this last one, um, if you weren't
2: writing, John, what would you be doing? Would you be an electrician? Would you be a carpenter? What would you be doing if you weren't writing? What's the gig for John McMullen if he's not writing or Uh, uh, obviously hosting birds 365?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'd probably be living under a bridge somewhere. I don't. I don't. Um, no, <laughs> I should... just be. A, I should just be a troll living uh, under the, yeah, the Walt Whitman. Be... <laughs> um, no, you don't want to be under that. I'm. I'm trying to figure out how I can fend for myself. You know, it's funny. It's funny you bring this up, Mark, because to my parents. I, I was like a genius because I could do little things around the house. You know, I could fix little issues to my wife. I'm the biggest idiot in the world because I can't do, you know, I can't change doors or I can't build, I uh, uh, build a shed or, you know, I'm not Amish. So it depends. It depends on who is sort of valuing you or or judging you, you know? <laughs> Like I, right. you know, I I can use a screwdriver. So I was that that I beat my, you know, and a hammer. So I beat my parents. They thought I was Mister Handyman. And the opposite with my wife's. So. What does your father do for a living? Uh he he was a uh, he was Newman on Seinfeld. He was a U.S. Postal worker uh, for many years. <laughs> well, you do know the difference between a flathead and a Phillips head screwdriver. Oh yeah. Off I'm, and running. We're off yeah. and
2: running, ladies and gentlemen. Oh,
3: I got the tool. I got the whole thing. I'm, all I'm, right, I'm like the Derek Barnett of work. I'm comping it, but I'm I'm not a first round pick.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I can I can relate a little bit to that. Uh, my father in law was not Mister Fix It, and I remember taking out my ratchet set, you know, with my tools, and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, I got a yeah. ratchet set. See, that's
3: what. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And my my wife goes, "What are those?" And I'm like, you didn't buy, you never got this for your dad for like Father's Day. She's like, oh God, no! She's <laughs> like, ah, Frankie, wrong wrench. Not, not, not a chance. Uh, John, uh, anybody you're looking forward to see uh, maybe break out a little bit over the next uh, practice or so before uh, the you know kickoff on Saturday.
3: Well, there's only one practice. I think, you know, what are they going to do in that game in Baltimore? You know, I had to go back to last year. The, the starters did play for the one series, and Jalen Hurts was perfect, uh, six for six, But um, which kind of foreshadowed the season in many ways. Um, but uh, this year they have Cleveland coming in, like, immediately, you know. Um, on, on, it'll be Saturday, it'll be Monday. Um, so, you know, and that's when they want the starters to get all the work. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it, um, from a playing time standpoint. And then the greatest, uh, streak in sports, the Eagles have a chance to make history by stopping the Ravens, uh, 23 game preseason winning streak, which is Unbelievable. Unbelievable that thing. How do you win twenty-three consecutive preseason games?
2: I I don't know. I think you have to really try hard to win twenty-three consecutive preseason games. And I think that is what uh I think that in general, I think that's what a hardball is is all about. Uh, John, great catching up with you as always. Uh, you and me tomorrow for the entirety of the show. So I look forward to that, John.
3: Yeah, I feel for you, but thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. <laughs>
2: We'll have plenty more zombie apocalypse talk yes. and how we can help our uh, communities uh, after the apocalypse. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll be joined by uh, Bill Calarulo of uh, Legal Hands to the Face. He'll be joining us for the next 90 minutes. Mike Gill will join us at 920. He'll be right back here on Birds 365. John, thanks again.
3: Thanks, Mark.
1: E-A-G-L-E-X, Eagles. Welcome
2: back, everybody. Uh, joining us right now, Bill Calarulo of uh, Legal Hands to the Face. Bill, nice to be with you again, man. How you doing?
4: Not too bad, my brother. How are you?
2: I am uh, I'm doing fantastic. As I started off the show by talking to John McClone about this, um, here's how big a day it was in Philadelphia sports yesterday. There was actually a training camp fight. And nobody really talked. People talked about it for like an hour, and then the Phillies threw a no hitter with uh, Michael Lorenzen on the bump for them last night. So that's pretty incredible. Um, but uh, whenever there's a training camp fight, I don't know what it is, Bill, but it warms my heart to know guys are agitated that early in the process. So the game hasn't even been played yet. Preseason hasn't even started yet. You're literally you haven't even had a joint practice yet, and you're literally hitting your own guys to the point where you're taking exception to it. Now, uh, according to John, it was a borderline uh, hit by Landon Dickerson on uh, a uh, bubble screen, uh, a wide receiver screen, and Derek Barnett just took exception to it. It sounded like Barnett didn't like the hit in the setting of practice and him being a guy coming off an ACL. um, That's what he took exception to more so than just the hit itself. The context definitely mattered in this situation. But anytime there's a tussle, I don't know about you, but it warms my heart.
4: Normally it would warm my heart. Anybody else, (laughs) it would warm my heart. But the fact that it is Derek Barnett just rubs me the wrong way because this is a guy who we have seen since he's come into the league be so undisciplined, and especially with personal foul penalties. And now he gets another one in training camp against his own team. This is a guy I was hopeful was going to come into this season and maybe mature a little bit, maybe finally be able to contribute to this team. Personal foul in practice. I know it's just training camp. But if this is a sign of things to come, that this guy is still undisciplined, it's going to be a problem.
2: Yeah, I don't know how a player gets out of his own way. Like a guy like Derek Barnett, who two things. One, he's pushing to come back from injury. And then on top of that, he's pushing to make sure that he gets himself a roster spot on this team. That's what he's fighting for right now. And the, the way I knew and, and I were texting a little bit last night about it, but the way I look at it with Derek Barnett is he's a rotational player. The guy's a rotational player. that That is his peak that is the, the 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 height of his career will be a rotational player with the eagles maybe he's able to hit a reset button somewhere else and he's able to really prove himself as a first round draft pick i just don't think it happens here in philadelphia i think his ceiling especially with who's in front of him that are going to be going after the quarterback this year edge rushers on this team that i think have a far better pedigree than he does um i think he is just uh, fighting for scraps off the table right now when it comes to breaking into this eagles defensive line Let me give you the bad first
4: on Derek Barnett, and then I'll try to end it with a little positive here. So the bad has been in six seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles, he has more penalties than he does sacks. He has (laughs) 29 penalties in his career, 10 personal foul calls, and he only has 21 and a half sacks. So that is the bad, okay? That's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Pretty damn bad for a first-round pick taking 14th overall a guy who I hate even putting his name in the same sentence as Reggie White anymore but a guy who broke Reggie White's record at Tennessee for the most sacks in Tennessee history comes into the league and has more penalties than sacks. So a disappointment is an understatement. But the positive here and I'm grasping at straws here, Farzy. Okay. The positive is you look at Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham at this point in his career what Derek Barnett has, six seasons under his belt, only had 23 and a half sacks. So BG was a guy who came on late, as we know, since that point. In his next six seasons, BG had 46 and a half sacks. So almost double what he had his first six seasons. So let's hold out hope. Maybe, maybe we see an end of the career for Derek Barnett the way BG has come on late I don't have confidence because I just think I just think they're two completely different players. You see the way BG is, and yeah. you see the way Derek Barnett is. BG didn't have a problem with discipline. He didn't have a problem with stupid penalties. I mean, and they have been. I don't have any specific memories right now of exact plays. I just remember watching games over the last few years and being so frustrated when you'd see Derek Barnett just take a stupid penalty that really changes the momentum of a game yeah don't be
2: a guy out there that's going to hurt us you know, if you're going to be a guy i understand that you might not help the eagles but if you're the eagles you're looking at Derek Burnett and saying okay look we understand you're not going to do a lot to help us in this situation but if you could just kind of break even here and not hurt us and not take away from our chances to win a football game yeah that's a pretty big step but <laughs> Go ahead. Go. Know what? I
4: mean, he's still only twenty-seven years old. That—that's the crazy thing. He's been around for a while, but he's still only twenty-seven. So it's not as if this guy's career is over. He just has to fix these stupid penalties and get back to the guy he was at Tennessee. We saw his skills in college. He knows how to rush the passer, but he's got to get more disciplined. If they, if Nick Sirianni and Sean Desai want to be able to trust this guy on the field, with you mentioned how
2: deep they are at the edge position you got to be disciplined you can't hurt the team as you said farzi i'll go back to with that 2017 draft and him going 14 overall he, i don't want to say he went under the radar because yes when you attach reggie white's name to somebody else in in any case which i always thought the sack record there should be an asterisk there at uh, tennessee when you think about the idea of um because uh, what he played in how many more games than Reggie White did it was a, it was a huge uh, amount of the games difference between the amount that Derek Barnett played versus the amount that uh, Reggie White only played at college. But uh, he's a 14th overall pick. I remember still though people being more hyped about their second round pick that was supposed to be the steal of the draft in Sidney Jones. And that, of course, ended up being a bust here in Philadelphia. He couldn't get over knee issues. Uh, the biggest thing he did when he was here is he lost his cell phone at the Super Bowl parade and the fan returned it to him. Like, that's like the biggest thing. But if you look at that draft, nobody really jumps off the page. I mean, Mac Hollins, Rasul Douglas, Danelle Pumphrey in the fourth round. Um, Nate Gary ended up being one of your starting linebackers uh, for you there. Um it's like it. nothing really jumped out to you about that draft that Derek Barnett came in. Their best rookie that year was uh, an undrafted running back uh, named Corey Clement, who ended up coming up with a great record there for himself in the Super Bowl. But it's crazy to think about that draft class that Derek Barnett was supposed to promise a lot as an edge rusher, and Sidney Jones was supposed to promise a lot. And of the two, they might have given you the least. Uh, of the Of the draft picks they had that year, they might have given you the least when they had a lot of hype coming into the season.
4: Well, that was before Howie Roseman decided, you know what? Just draft Alabama and Georgia players. <laughs> yeah, yeah he learned you learned a lot. Right, just go with the SEC, take the biggest names, and you're going to be just fine. The one thing that Derek Barnett will always be remembered for, though, of course, is yeah. recovering that fumble in Super Bowl 52. So mm-hmm. that's his claim to fame. In fact, if you go to the Eagles media guide, they have career highlights, and a lot of guys have a lot of things written. <laughs> the only thing Barnett has is, he recovered the fumble in Super Bowl 52. Yeah, fell in, the right place. Other than that.
2: fell in the right place at the right time. I, you know, every time we talk about Derek Barnett, this always comes to mind, and I, I have a lot of trouble really thinking of somebody like this. But has there any, Has there been anybody like Derek Barnett across the board, not just football, like across the board of Philadelphia Sports, that has had such an important, great moment, like their best moment is the most important moment, and then there's just nothing? And to, to your point, I didn't even know that about the Eagles website, but this supports that theory incredibly. That one great play, and then everything else is eh, eh, nothing, nothing. Like, maybe it's a, it's the biggest, that and the Philly special, two biggest plays in a franchise's history. And Derek Barnett obviously had a big hand in one of them recovering that fumble. Brandon Graham made the play. He recovered the fumble. But everything after that, it's like most fantastic thing we've ever seen or nothing. I, it's hard to think of one person that has had that drastic of a difference in the way they play football. Well, the reason it's so hard, too, is we haven't had many
4: championships here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We got the 08 Phillies. We have the, what, 1983 Sixers. I, unfortunately, was born about a week after. The Sixers won the NBA championship in 1983. I thought I was going to go my whole life without seeing a championship. That was my (laughs) biggest fear. So I've only had the 08
2: Phillies and the 17 Eagles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've we've been few and far between in the championships, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully that changes in the not-too-distant future, especially with a guy like Jalen Hurts. Um, One other name I want to get in here regarding the defense. Uh, You had mentioned this right at the end of the show yesterday. Somehow, magically... Uh, N'Kobe Dean was back there on the football field in a limited capacity, back from the ankle injury. Uh, but they go out there and they sign Cunningham. They go out there and they sign Miles Jack. And all of a sudden, N'Kobe Dean's back out there. Um, Do you think we see him in preseason game number two? Because I don't think we're seeing him in preseason game number one. It's so hard to tell with Sirianni. You never know. I mean, he
4: really puts a value on these joint practices more so than the preseason game. So I don't know if you're going to see Dean. And... As much as I was happy they brought in Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham to provide some competition, I don't think that competition is for N'Kobe Dean. I think they're pretty solid that N'Kobe Dean is going to be their starting linebacker. It's that off-the-ball linebacker that I think they brought these guys in for to compete with Nicholas Morrow. So, yeah, N'Kobe Dean comes back yesterday, definitely maybe feeling the pressure a little bit that they brought in other linebackers, but I think this is his job Until he proves otherwise in the regular season. So I don't know if you're going to see him in the preseason at all. I hope we do. I think the guy needs. You you heard me yesterday. He's only had 34 defensive snaps in the NFL. He only has 13 career tackles. So I would like to see him in the preseason. But with the emphasis that Sirianni and the staff put on keeping these guys healthy, I'm not sure you'll see him.
2: Yeah, we, we we identified ourselves as people that are optimistic about N'Kobe Dean, but we gotta see it. And I think that's where the Eagles are at right now. And you know what? If a knock on a player, if like one of the biggest knocks on the player is that he hasn't been spectacular. That's not that bad. That's not terrible, especially when you consider the bar that's been set at the linebacker position for the Eagles over the years, and we don't need to go into the that depth chart over the years there. I already mentioned Nate Gary. Uh, but uh, it hasn't been a high bar for the Eagles. But when you look at a guy like N'Kobe Dean, he's coming in here with that Georgia Bulldog pedigree. He's coming in here as one of the many uh, Broad Street Bulldogs to be playing on that Eagles defense. So there's a little bit of um, a desire to see a splash play. And he hasn't provided that quite yet. I don't know if he's going to be the type of guy, and I'm hoping he's the type of guy that needs to be in the game or needs to be going up against somebody who is actual competition that he's going to be facing in a game. I'm talking about those practices, those joint practices that Nick Sirianni literally comes out afterwards and says, well, you know, we won practice today. And it's like, I didn't know you could win that. I didn't think they kept score, but okay. Um, and he's keeping score that they won practice. So if you have a guy like the Kobe Dean that's going to be going up and facing uh, talent that he's not competing for a job with, he's facing talent that he just wants to put in the ground, then maybe you're going to start to see that edge that you need at linebacker. Because, look, you can measure speed. You can measure quickness. You don't need a game necessarily to do that. Sure, instincts and reaction, that matters. And that in a game adds a lot of motivation to a player moving a little bit faster than he does when he's in a game we won't see that till the game but until then i think he just needs some competition in front of him one that he's not maybe going to start a fight with like yesterday at practice where um he's actually thrown a shoulder into somebody on the opposing team and showing that he can be physical showing that he does have those instincts and we'll show that at the level that we need him to see uh, that we need to see him at before they actually step foot on the football field in week 1 against patriots
4: yeah i'd like to see him in the preseason too for those exact reasons but you know what we have to hope because we have not heard like you said any Reports from training camp that Nakobe Dean flashed today or he had this great right. play today. What we have to hope is this is a very intelligent linebacker. This is a guy who, from all accounts, was great at Georgia because he studied a lot of film, was smart at diagnosing plays, being in the right spot at the right time. You don't really do that in preseason practices, in training camp practices. So what we have to hope is this guy is a true gamer. That when the time comes for the regular season to start, he's gonna do a lot of film study. The guy, I think he's what a bioengineering to Mechanical
2: engineering. This is what fascinates me about it. Mechanical engineering major, and he wants to possibly, maybe, Bill, just maybe go back for pre-med. Just maybe if he feels like it, you know, if he's bored in an off-season, wants to go back for pre-med. He talked about that, like I talked about taking volleyball as an elective, my senior year at Temple.
4: Yeah, so he is a very smart man, no doubt about it. So let's hope that when the season comes with his film study and his intelligence level and ability to diagnose plays, that we'll start to see some flashes from him at that linebacker
2: position. So let's move away from the middle of the linebacking core and talk about some of the outside guys here potentially. Um, Nicholas Morrow, I'm starting to really get the sense, and I don't think I'm alone here. I think it's the majority actually – his job might not be a lock. For the Chicago connection, him, Sean Desai, whatever it might be, it does not seem like that's going to hold a lot of water coming in, uh, coming out of training camp. This, guy, I mean, talk about the Kobe Dean, uh, you and I, and most people think, yes, he's the starting linebacker, middle linebacker for this defense come week one. But Christian Ellis coming on strong, uh, going out there, getting guys like Cunningham and Jack, and obviously already having um, uh, that raw talent in uh, Van, uh, Von Sumerin. Uh, the, the guy that they want to mold is a linebacker as well. Nicholas Morrow might be in danger here of losing a job. Yeah, I
4: said it yesterday. You really have to look at their actions. And they only gave Nicholas Morrow a one-year $1.15 million deal. They gave Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham more than double that in their one-year contract. So I don't think that Nicholas Morrow was a guy that they were very high on anyway coming into camp. And there's a reason that he was available. There was a reason Chicago, he played 100% of the defensive snaps for the Chicago Bears last year, and they had no problem letting him walk and picking up TJ Edwards. So I think Nicholas Morrow is a good backup linebacker. He's a serviceable linebacker. If he has to come in, he does get a lot of tackles. I think he'd be okay if for some reason he has to step into that position. But I think the Eagles and Howie Roseman wanted to upgrade that off-the-ball linebacker. That's why they brought in Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. And you're already seeing Miles Jack get first-team reps, which is crazy. I know it's because Nicobe Dean has been out, but they're already giving this guy first-team reps. And then, like you mentioned, too, Christian Ellis, another guy who hasn't played a lot of defensive snaps in the NFL, but a lot of people have been high on him. We talk about Nicobe Dean not making flashes in training camp and OTAs. All you hear coming out of these OTAs and training camp is watch out for Christian Ellis. Another big play today. Another big play against the first-team offense. So I had, I had Barrett Brooks on my podcast recently, and he's been high on Christian Ellis all summer long, saying watch out for this guy. Watch out for this guy. So we'll see how things go. But, yeah, I don't know how much confidence they have in Nick Morrow bringing in not one, but two veteran linebackers this week.
2: All right. Um when you're a uh, defensive coordinator, there's a couple of things that I'd, I'd like to see here. And Sean Desai, obviously uh, one of the new defensive co- one of the new coordinators on this team, along with uh, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson's been here for a minute. So Sean Desai is supposed to have this great head on his shoulders. Uh, just talking to him, uh, talking about him with John McMullen, Very organized, very a great attention to detail. Coaches love throwing that out. Uh, uh, GMs love throwing that out when they hire somebody, right? So far, very much have they've struggled against uh, Jalen Hurts and Marcus Mariota in trying to contain them when they uh, scramble and they try to buy time behind the pocket or scramble, whatever, it might, or behind the line of scrimmage uh, or scramble. They're having trouble containing the quarterbacks. Uh, and then I see this story about Howie Roseman having to yell to Sean Desai that he is running the wrong drill at practice yesterday at the lake. Not an open practice, so nobody was there other than the team and the media. Um, I'm looking for Brian Johnson to just get an opportunity to call plays. And I won't see that until it's time to call plays. But you know what I'm not reading about Brian Johnson, how he is unorganized or doesn't know what drill they are in. You know what I'm reading about uh, Sean Desai right now? He is unorganized and doesn't know what drill they are in right now. Um, at what point do red flags start to really go up about Desai? Do we got to see a defense being burned in a, in a preseason game? Uh, because all we ask for in the in the training camp sessions is, organization having your guys ready to go and he apparently did not have that yesterday yeah that is not a good look
4: not a good look at all when your general manager is yelling at your defensive coordinator he's doing the wrong drill the only thing i guess we could hope is we know nick sirianni runs really quick efficient practices but decide better get on the same page man because that is not a good look at all and you know we talked about a little bit yesterday brian johnson's play calling things like that Sean Desai, you have to be quick. In the NFL, these plays are coming in fast. Two minute drill is quick. You better, if you can't get a drill organized in training camp, it is not a good look when you're thinking about how you're going to go against these other NFL teams for regular season games. You did mention, too, they haven't been able to stop Hertz and, and Mariota. The positive there, though, is not many teams could stop Hertz last year. Right. I mean, yeah. Run, running the ball. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks who can run the ball in the NFL. And they're not really going to see many runners from the quarterback position this season, fortunately. You know, Tua can do it a little bit. They have Josh Allen. They're going to have to play against Kyler Murray, maybe, if he's healthy. But you know, other than that, there's not a lot of guys who could run the ball from that quarterback position. So that doesn't concern me as much. Jalen Hurts is one of the best that can do it. But not being organized for a drill, that's a problem.
2: It literally is the, the bare minimum. It is the bare minimum, Bill, that they just go out there and they just have their guys ready to go. And I understand he's only been a defensive coordinator one year in his life, in his uh, NFL career, and he was a uh, what a head coaching assistant to uh, Pete Carroll when he was in Seattle. And that's a big title. I mean, Andy Reid, when he was in Green Bay all those years ago, was a quarterback's coach. He was a tight ends coach. But people didn't look his way until he had that assistant head coach title attached to his name. Um, yep. So. Desai should be a guy that has, has things well-organized. Hopefully it's just a, a one-time thing and it's a learning curve, whatever it might be, and that's what I'll, I'll cross my fingers for. But um, one thing you said during yesterday's show has not left my brain, and that's the idea, to flip it on the offensive side of the football. Cam Jurgens on this offensive line, more so than Kenny Gainwell, already knowing his career here in Philadelphia, being so good at catching the ball out of the backfield, being able to run plays like that it's fantastic. DeAndre Swift being acquired. More so than those two acquisitions. The thing that has me most convinced that we're going to see something different from Jalen Hurts and from their play caller this year and uh, Brian Johnson, they're going to be throwing to their running backs this year. Perhaps maybe as much as you saw with Darren Sproles being here, maybe even more. But you're going to be throwing to those guys not just because they're talented, but because the offensive line might be the best off the uh, off the line of scrimmage offensive line that we've seen since the days of, like, you know, Trey Thomas being on this offensive line, when you had Brian Westbrook behind the line of scrimmage catching those screen passes from Donovan McNabb. They might be better equipped now with these interior uh, offensive linemen, Jason Kelsey, and to your point, Cam Jurgens. than they have in 20-some years to be running those types of plays, not just with the running backs, but with the offensive line as well. I'm now more convinced, thanks to you, Bill, that they're going to be running that type of play at a higher rate than we have seen since uh, Brian Westbrook was catching those passes. That's what I'm hoping
4: too, Farzi. This offensive line that the Philadelphia Eagles have, I think is the most athletic offensive line in the NFL. We know last year they were in the discussion for being the best offensive line in the NFL. I think they can do it again this year, but they're definitely the most athletic. I mean, just look at all these guys. Jordan Maialata, we saw what he could do when he was in the Australian Football League. Now he's doing that from the left tackle position, which is incredible. Landon Dickerson, you mentioned earlier the second-round pick, Sidney Jones, who was hurt that Howie Roseman missed on. We'll talk about a great draft pick in Landon Dickerson. He was also hurt coming out of college. The Eagles take him in the second round. A lot of people weren't happy about that. Well, that one turned out to be a great pick. Landon Dickerson has a real shot to be a pro bowler this year with how good he is at the left guard position. And then Jason Kelsey, Hall of Famer, you know his athletic ability. You add Cam Jurgens into the mix. And Lane Johnson, who's a former quarterback, this is a very athletic offensive line. I would love to see the Eagles bring back that screen game and have these guys on the move, in open space, getting downfield, blocking some of these smaller cornerbacks and safeties, and putting the ball in Kenny Gainwell and DeAndre Swift's hands. This is going to be a really fun offensive line to watch.
2: It it absolutely is. Um, The other thing about that particular play is that they – They have so many different ways to beat you. It's not just with the screen, but I can see those wheel routes coming back as well. That goes a little bit more towards the idea of the running back having wide receiver hands, as Nick Sirianni talked about with DeAndre Swift, seeing those kind of routes where you don't have to worry about your offensive lineman getting off the line of scrimmage and getting downfield to make blocks for you, but you just literally dial up that play. Um, On that note, how often, because I'm thinking about this as well. Are we going to see, like we saw with Darren Sproles lined up in the slot a lot of times with Doug Peterson's offense, are we going to see DeAndre Swift line up in that spot as well? And I'm not just talking about him lining up there as a technical wide receiver screen where he's going to be popping under for a bubble screen or anything like that, but actually have him up there, maybe running, you know, you know five and ins, whatever, a slant route, something like that. Do you think we're going to see him as that diverse a receiver in this Eagles offense?
4: I do. I do think you're going to see him spread out a little bit, and I think a lot of that's going to come down to how good is Quez Watkins going to be this year? Again, all these reports coming out of training camp is he's had a great camp. He's come in with a great mindset. If he can actually step up to be the wide receiver three that everybody was hopeful we were going to see last year, you may not see Swift lined up in that slot as much. But if the Eagles need to improve that wide receiver three position, a way to do it is – by putting Swift in the slot. And it's also nice because, you know, we were talking about these defenses and being able to adjust quickly on the fly is they see the personnel that's coming into the game and they're able to adjust accordingly. It's nice to have a running back that can flex out to the wide receiver position because now you may get a mismatch where there's a linebacker on DeAndre Swift in the slot. And that's going to be a really tough ask for a linebacker to try to guard him.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, coming up, uh, first off, 9 o'clock today, or 9.30 today, we're going to talk to uh, Mike Gill of 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey. We'll uh, get into all things Eagles with him. We'll continue the conversation about running backs, linebackers. Um, We also uh, have to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Because they already have some off-season drama brewing down there. Uh, Jerry Jones has already been uh, talking that smack, or at least attempting to talk the smack. Because we don't really take it that seriously here in Philadelphia, you more point and we're laugh at it and say, "Oh, that's adorable." Whenever the Cowboys have an issue, uh, and Eric Bieniemy, this story out of Washington is fascinating to me because apparently Eric Bieniemy Bill is um, it's a little bit of a hard ass, and apparently today's NFL player doesn't enjoy that too much. But Eric Bieniemy apparently is getting people's faces. He's trying to rally guys, to rally their emotions. He's trying to motivate them as much as he possibly can. And uh, <clears throat> Ron Rivera didn't help the situation. He talked about it, and then shortly thereafter had to read from a pre-written statement about uh, his new offensive coordinator, a guy that many thought should have been a head coach in the NFL many years ago. It's barely rubbing the modern NFL player a little too uh, a little too wrong, apparently. So we'll get into that conversation because it has to do in our division, and we will talk about any legitimate threat the Eagles have in the NFC So we'll get to all that and more coming up here on Birds 365. Uh, Bill, I think one of the best parts about doing verse three sixty-five is the theme song. I don't know what it is. It just—it's got me. It's a good one. It, 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 I don't know if it's a local band that did it or what the deal is. If it's just royalty-free music, we can play over and over and over again. <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it is, it's catchy, man. It's absolutely catchy. Uh, hey, Bill, I know you got a law background. I know you got a law background, but uh, Miles Jack yesterday said that he would—he um, was about to go into trade school to become an electrician or a, a, a plumber. Do you have any trade skills? Uh, could, you, could you build me a house? Could you build me a shed? Uh, how would you do in the zombie apocalypse that Miles Jack laid out there for, for the reporters yesterday when talking about how he wanted a trade that uh, he could survive a zombie apocalypse with?
4: I can't hammer a freaking nail, man. <laughs> and, and, and It's crazy because I grew up with my grandfather. My grandfather basically built his house. I was around it my whole life, and I can't do anything, man. It's it's brutal.
2: <laughs> That's uh, My Uncle John's a contractor. Um was for many years. My dad learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from my dad. So I'm pretty good. And we just moved into a new house in January. So I am nonstop working. So I can do that stuff. When I'm not talking in the microphone, I'm like peeling wallpaper off a wall mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, put something together for my daughter or building a closet. That uh, was a project I'm working on right now. So like, uh, I love all that stuff. But like, I couldn't think of like after an NFL career. <laughs> Could you imagine You're like a, you like know, your lights are flickering call an electrician and miles Jack shows up yeah. to your house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
4: let me rephrase too. I said, I can't do anything. I put together Ikea furniture.
2: Excellent, man. Oh, there you go. Those yeah, Allen wrenches. I'm good with the Allen wrench. I have a wonderful collection of Allen wrenches. Thank you, Ikea. I appreciate it. Appreciate I don't have to buy the, the whole set anymore. I just have those from uh, Ikea. I think,
4: they, I think they do that on purpose just to mess with you, that you have to do the little small damn Allen wrenches to put those <laughs> furnitures together. But
2: I, I like the little figure that's like, hey, idiot, this is how you do it. And they have this little stick figure kind of putting it together as you put it together. It's, it's nice. It's like you have company. Uh, looking at uh, this Eagles uh, defense, we've talked a lot about it. But I, I do have to go around the NFC East here for a second. I, I I know this is, is, is unpopular, but I think in our role here, you got to put you know the fan hat aside for a second. You got to put on an objective hat somewhat. I think the Cowboys have a talented football team. I think the Cowboys are a threat to the Eagles. A lot of things could go wrong uh, for the Eagles this year. Let's acknowledge that it is football. There's a reason they played the games. I think the Cowboys are a good football team excluding any loyalty to the Philadelphia Eagles whatsoever excluding all that. I think the Eagles have I think the Cowboys have a very good football team. I think Washington is a very well coached football team. I think the Giants are a well coached football team. But I think it's pretty obvious here. The number 1 threat to the Eagles this year matches right up with the team that everyone has as the number 1 on their list, the team that they want to beat the most and the worst as a, when a season starts up, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. How close is it, if if close at all, between the way the Cowboys could win this division and the way the Eagles, I think, will win this division? How close do you think the Cowboys are to the Eagles right now, Bill?
4: On paper, I think the Eagles obviously have a better roster. But the reason that I think it's close is because of what we've seen over the last 20 years there has not been a repeat NFC East winner and i've said on other shows one of my biggest concerns is you look at Dak Prescott and he's been a turnover machine the last couple of years but his record against the NFC East is insane he is 27 and 7 against the NFC East 8 and 3 against the Eagles 9 and 2 against the Commanders and 10 and 2 against the New York Giants so even when Dak Prescott is not playing well, he still plays well against the NFC East. And the Eagles have to figure out a way to beat Dak Prescott and the Cowboys if they want to win this division. And that is my concern. Look, the, the Cowboys are having a lot of problems. Zach Martin sitting out. That is a big loss. He's one of the best guards, if not the best guard in the NFL. Mika Parsons has taken shots at that prescott in practice i don't know if you saw that mccarthy's not happy he's bringing him to the ground but these guys are having some problems but at the same time prescott's had a lot of success against that NFC East. so the eagles have to figure out a way to win those games
2: i think this is where a lot of people go no matter what the acquisitions and man they really tapped into the michigan market uh in their draft to try to bolster their team but uh looking at the dallas cowboys no matter what they do defensively, Stephon Gilmore, whoever it might be that they bring in to try to help them win, uh, Dak Prescott playing as well as he has played over the years, but yes, being a turnover machine. The thing that's crazy to me is they just find a way to lose. Either it's a Dak Prescott turnover, an interception, whether it's just not performing, whether offensive line actually uh, coming up, which has been a great offensive line over the years, all of a sudden looking like Swiss cheese. Now you have a guy like Zach Martin disgruntled. They had to tap into Jason Peters last year playing for the Cowboys because they were so dismantled at the offensive line spot, both at guard and at tackle. Tyron Smith having issues. It was wild for the Cowboys, but they just find ways to lose. They are potentially the most snake bitten team in the NFL. And hey, 49ers fans, don't cry at that. I know you guys were snake bit last year. I'm talking over a long period of time. The Cowboys find a way to either shoot themselves in the foot or bottom line, choke just choke and mike mccarthy has been at the front of some major choke jobs in the nfl over the last decade so you have a you have a choker and a head coach you have chokers as players you're going to eventually choke so no matter when you look at that paper that you pointed at bill when you look at the paper bottom line is you can't measure the choke job by a dallas cowboys team when it comes late in the season the games matter the most especially in the postseason if they make the postseason Yeah, and I think as Eagles fans, the best thing that we have
4: going is that Mike McCarthy's taken over play calling for the Dallas Cowboys because I would have zero confidence in him as a play caller and as a head coach. I am of the belief that all of his success came because of who his quarterback was in Green Bay. So that's a positive there. But the concern I have isn't necessarily that the Eagles couldn't beat the Cowboys in the playoffs because I agree with you that they are chokers over the last, what, 30 40 years my concern would be if the philadelphia eagles can't figure out a way to beat the cowboys and win the nfc east that means no home field advantage in the playoffs and that's what the eagles i think need to have i don't see another nfc team including the san francisco 49ers coming into the link and being able to beat this team in the playoffs but Eagles have a really tough schedule. You, you see that stretch after the bye in Week 10, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Niners, and then the Cowboys and the Seahawks on the road. There's a chance that if they don't beat the Cowboys both times they play them, that the Eagles will not have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And that's something that I think if we want to be the first team to get past that Super Bowl hangover from the NFC in 50 years, that home field advantage is really important.
2: No i I absolutely agree with that. and look, something there's gonna be some snag this season that nobody foresees, whether it's a rhythm issue that the Eagles can't execute, whether it's a a downtick in Jalen Hurts's incredible performance last year. offensive and defensive coordinators not being on the same page as the new units that they are controlling. It could be worse than Jonathan Gannon, dare I say it, but it could be true. There's going to be snags that are out there. God forbid injury, God forbid injury, but there's going to be snags out there in the course of the season. Everyone knows the ebbs and flows of an NFL season. So the one thing that I will say about um, Mike McCarthy, because I feel like I have been president of the Mike McCarthy uh, hatred fan club, uh, because I just think he sucks. But anyway, one thing I will say that, and I agree with you wholeheartedly and everyone that makes the statement about Aaron Rodgers made that team, they're absolutely a thousand billion percent correct. One thing I will give Mike McCarthy credit for is um, if you look at that roster that they won the Super Bowl with against the Steelers, granted, this is 13 years ago. It was I mean, if the Eagles roster when they won the Super Bowl was depleted with injury, Mike McCarthy won with like 10 or 15 guys on IR that year. Like that's pretty remarkable. However, I think that a lot of that deodorant uh, was Aaron Rodgers' incredible play still. But finding a way to still win with a bunch of guys on IR, IR was still pretty impressive. I just don't think he can do it in Dallas, which is why I doubt. I, why I don't look at Dak Prescott and say he's a good enough quarterback to mask the awful smell that could be the Cowboys in the upcoming season. Because starting off with one of your most uh, loyal and best and longest tenured players uh, in pissing off Zach Martin to start a season – not exactly the best way to start things off. And also, Jerry Jones running his mouth before the season starts training camp about how great the, uh, the his team is, how uh, how the, the Eagles will be uh, set set up for disappointment. Uh, I, I just don't see it as the best possible way to start off a uh, training camp session with Jerry Jones and however many training camps this has been with him and the Dallas Cowboys.
4: Yeah, not, not a great look for the Dallas Cowboys right now, but a team that I also don't want to overlook in the NFC East because I think they have, outside of Nick Sirianni, the best coach in the NFC East is Brian Dable and the New York Giants. The Mara family finally got it right after a couple of missteps with Ben McAdoo and Joe Judge. Brian Dable is a great coach. Now, I'm not as high on Daniel Jones as some people are. I still can't believe the master class that Howie Roseman put together for what the contract is for Jalen Hurts compared to what the Giants gave Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. But Brian Dable is a very good coach. We saw it last year their roster was not as good as they played. So that's another concern you have. The weird thing is, is with the NFL, the way they did the schedule this year, both Dallas Cowboys-Eagles games are going to be done by week 14. They don't play the Giants for the first time until week 16. They play the Giants week 16 and week 18. So those games are really late in the year, so a lot can change by then. Those games may not even matter. But that's a team I do think outside of Nick Sirianni,
2: Brian Dable's the best coach in the NFC East. Yeah, it's it's wild. I, you have a, obviously you have a Super Bowl winner in uh, in, uh, in Mike McCarthy. You have a guy who has had a lot of success as an offensive coordinator and one year in New York, and Brian Dable has done a great job with Daniel Jones and obviously with Saquon Barkley as well. I have questions about their offensive line in New York. Um, I know John Feliciano was a guy that they really relied on, uh, and now they obviously can't do that. I'm going to be curious to see how they really uh, look this year. I – and oh, also Ron Rivera is a pretty damn good head football coach as well. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had to stabilize an entire franchise and now go through the sale of an owner uh, in what do you have with uh, Ron Rivera. He's the one thing that I think Washington can be proud of over the years is how he has handled his situation there in D.C. It's a very well-coached division. Uh, it is funny to think about the only other Super Bowl winner is Mike McCarthy. I would put it at the bottom of that list. I would put Sirianni there as the top dog. I would put Brian Dable there as number two. And I put Ron Rivera there as uh, number three. Uh, And then I'd have a long gap between I got the Mike McCarthy. Um, But the thing with the Giants that I think is their Achilles heel is the thing that can, again, be that masking agent, that deodorant to a lot of bad things. And Daniel Jones is a guy I just do not have a lot of respect for. I, I Look, I see why people love a guy like Justin Herbert, Okay. I, I'm not Justin Herbert's biggest fan. I might be his biggest uh, you know, uh, uh, detractor, but I respect him for what he is. And I understand that I'm just missing something when I look at Justin Herbert. I'm not a big Justin Herbert guy. But people that build up Daniel Jones, if Daniel Jones wasn't playing for the New York Giants, do you think so many people would be saying nice things about him? The answer to that question is no, absolutely not. And the fact that he is playing in that market with that head coach, with that running back, makes him look a lot more attractive to the rest of the league he is wildly overpaid right now and when push comes to shove we talk about Dak Prescott being a guy that'll choke I don't even think it's a matter of Daniel Jones choking because I just don't think that he is that good Dak Prescott can go off and have himself a day he can have himself a game Daniel Jones he's got to be a great point guard he doesn't have to be a great quarterback He's really got to rely on the guys around him. uh, Jalen Hurts could be that point guard. He could be that great quarterback, obviously. That's how he was runner-up for the MVP. That's why he's the third-best player in the NFL, according to the players. Second-best quarterback, right? I don't look at Daniel Jones, and I don't look at the Giants because of Daniel Jones as if they are a major threat. A team that catches my attention more, and it has to do with their defensive ability because they have a defensive head coach, and they have a very well-experienced defensive coordinator in Jack Del Rio. The Commanders are a team that I don't think scares me because no team in the NFC scares me. But they're a team that I could see sneaking up and be a thorn in the side of the Eagles this year. Um, and we'll get to the Eric B story in a second. But when I look at this, this, this Washington team right now, there is something about them, probably just the way they're coached, probably their defensive experience. That's a team that raises my eyebrows that I think will just be that nuisance like they were last year and the first time they placed Washington. No matter what the Eagles did, they couldn't win that game. I see the Commanders being a team that will just be annoying as all hell to the Eagles this year. You don't want to put the Giants in that category because of their quarterback.
4: The Washington Commanders are going to be playing with Sam Howell. So I don't have as much concerns about the Washington Commanders that you have. I just think their quarterback play is not going to be even as good as Daniel Jones. I agree with you. I don't think Daniel Jones is going to win the Giants games. If they win, it's going to be because of other players and and coaching. But yeah, the Washington Commanders, they have a good defense, and I know the Eagles' only regular season loss with Jalen Hurts came to the Commanders, but the Eagles beat themselves that game with turnovers. that That's not a team that really concerns me. And Ron Rivera, as good of a coach as he's been, he's been putting his foot in his mouth a lot the last couple of years. <laughs> he had to apologize last year for comments he made about the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. He had to just read that public statement, which we'll get into soon, about Eric enemy So... That whole organization, I know they're changing hands and switching gears for one second. What a violation. He should not be allowed to own the Washington Commanders and the Philadelphia 76ers. It's bad enough he already owns the New New Jersey Devils, but should a Josh Harris be able to own the 76ers and the Commanders? I mean, this is, I I could go on all day about this. I can't stand it. So are you going to have Eagles players at Sixers games ringing the bell? (laughs) You know, they could, they could, they could. That pisses me off. He shouldn't be allowed to buy the Washington Commanders.
2: <laughs> I, uh, here's what I'm at. He's just a businessman. That's all he is. He's a businessman. He's a businessman doing businessman things. He's making acquisitions, baby. That's what he's doing. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like that he is, uh, has an investment in, in our fan base as well as our rival fan bases. That drives me crazy. If our rivals win in another sport, he benefits. I don't want him benefiting from anybody but Philadelphia. I want when we're down in the dumps, I want him being down in the dumps. Now exactly. being worth uh, five point eight billion, that might help pre- prevent you from being in the dumps. But I still rather not him win. I understand what you're saying, but I have chalked it up to the guy's just a businessman making businessman decisions. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm just, I'm just sour about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't blame. Real quick on the Eric B Enemy thing, because we'll get into it more later. But I do want to say this. Could this be the reason? There's the first thing that popped to mind. Look, yes, Ron Rivera with Carson Wentz and the quarterback situation last year certainly put his foot in his mouth. This year he did it on, I think, back-to-back days where he tried to talk about Eric Bieniemy and tried to say something that was positive positive. It came off as a horrible negative. Uh, and then he had to read from a prepared statement about what Eric Bieniemy was to him as an offensive coordinator. Uh, Eric Bieniemy has come out and he said, look, this is the way I coach. In case you missed the story, coaches uh, or players said that they were concerned about the way Eric Bieniemy was coaching them too nasty, too intense, too, in, too intense, uh, a quarterback or a, uh, a coach in the NFL. So uh, Eric Bieniemy, to his credit, said, this is who I am. I have no other gear other than this. Is he already rubbing guys like Sam Howell the wrong way in D.C.? Because that's what it sounds like.
4: It, it's possible. And, I mean, you've heard stories about Andy Reid and Andy Reid's training camps. As much as a player's coach that Andy Reid was, his training camps were hard. You know, you hear some of these former players talk about it, and he is anything but the Nick Sirianni training camp. These were hard practices. He really worked, guys. And Biennemi's worked pretty much his entire career underneath Andy Reid. So it doesn't surprise me that Biennemi's rubbing these guys the wrong way if they're not used to practicing that hard. But yeah, like like you mentioned too, Enemy hasn't been really considered for head coaching jobs. Could there be more there? Is he not great with players you know we'll find out but um it's a good thing for the eagles i I love all the drama let let the drama be on the other nfc east teams so far knock on wood there hasn't been much drama outside of a little scuffle yesterday this philadelphia (laughs) eagles team seems to be all headed in the right direction
2: you know what that is, bill we got the core four or the old guys as jason kelsey pointed out uh coming up uh mike gill espn 97.3 south jersey will be joining us talking all things eagles coming up in a minute we'll be right back with birds 365
1: E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Welcome back, everybody.
2: Bird Three Sixty Five. Bill Calarulo joining us uh, in for Jordan McDonald, in for John McMullen. My name is Mark Farzetta, and joining us right now for 97.3 ESPN South Jersey, 2009 Sportscaster of the Year, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Gill joining us. What's up, Mike? I didn't have gray in my beard back then, Mark. <laughs> you know, Jody it, it accuses me of dyeing my beard. I do not dye my beard. I will dye my beard one day, but not yet. I'm getting a couple
8: of the whites in there. Just getting a couple. I've never gone that route, but uh, that's a lot of work, man. To do that every day or how often you – I don't know how often you would have to do it to, to keep – yeah. Keep a good shine in that beer, But it's a nice beer you got going. (laughs) Thank you very much.
2: I'll I'll get the salt and pepper going. Uh, Hey, the big story from training camp yesterday, Mike, was the fact that there was a Derek Barnett and uh, Landon Dickerson shoving match, apparently, over a hit. Uh, We started uh, our conversation, Bill and I, by me making the declaration that whenever I see a hit like this, whenever I see a uh, a little tussle at training camp before
8: the first preseason game, it warms my heart. What's your reaction to it, Mike? That's when we know that training camp is time to end, right? We get so jacked up for the start of football. We were talking about this. I had McMullen on my show the other day, and I said, if we reach the point of training camp where you're already tired and ready for the season to start. Like, we want football back so bad, and then the monotony of these practices um, just get me to September. You know, I'm down the shore, man. We don't want the summer to end, uh, but the fight at training camp is the first sign of this is taking too long get us to the games matter. Keep in mind, they play Saturday night. And then on Monday, the Browns are coming here. They're going to be doing those joint practices, which now have become more important than the actual games. So how much playing time are guys going to play Saturday night that then need to bang bodies again on Monday and two or whenever the Browns like, I think the Browns are getting here Monday. They play Thursday night. So they're going to do a couple joint practices and then play Thursday. So we have reached a point where, How much is too much, even with three preseason games, the way these joint practices have become almost bigger than the actual games? games.
4: (laughs) What's up, Mike? It's nice to meet you, too, man. I don't think we've ever met before. Cheers. So does it concern you, though, that the player involved in the training camp fight is Derek Barnett, who has more career penalties than he does sacks in the NFL?
8: Yeah, no, that's the the one thing that was brought out a lot yesterday. Who's surprised that it was Derek Barnett? Quite frankly, how many people remember that Derek Barnett was even on this roster? And what kind of role can we even envision for Derek Barnett? Look, when they brought him back last year, I was willing to take a one-year flyer to kind of see, hey, he was a first-round pick. Maybe he's a guy that matures a little late, and then he gets hurt. So we don't know. Does he mature as a player a little bit late? Because it seems like he's still... Um, has been a guy who has killed this team with penalties in the past and he's the guy that's in the middle of it all right now and quite frankly is the juice worth the squeeze with him probably not and you wonder um is there one of those young guys that is standing behind him just kind of waiting to take that role because what kind of role how big of a role is Barnett going to have and what kind of message would it send that hey this guy was a first round pick we signed him to some money but he's not getting it done we're moving on and that would be something that championship level organizations that's the kind of move they make mike you mentioned the conversation you had with john McMullen. i heard that um were you
2: i don't know if i caught it in your voice or not when he said kenny gainwell is rb1 right now and it's not close yeah. uh what were you
8: as surprised as i was to hear that i was um I literally was like, wait a second. Did I just hear what I thought I heard? Because, you know, he has not been the guy. I thought the interesting part was, and then he followed it up because I asked about Swift, and he said, well, Swift seems to be more in the third down role, and it almost seems like they just have swapped spots. That Gainwell has moved up, and Swift would take the old Gainwell role. But, yeah, I was pretty surprised to hear that. And I think, you know, for me, I've talked about this a lot, that I find it hard to believe – that if Rashad Penny's healthy and you're watching him at practice, that you wouldn't say, this guy's the best guy we got. If Gainwell has flashed that much, that's a pretty exciting comment from John. Because now, I don't know how much the Eagles trust Penny's health and they're just trying to keep it slow with him. Penny came out and talked about he feels like he has... You know, the weight down and the, the weight problem has been why he's gotten hurt because he's carrying so much on his legs and ankles. He broke his leg. He tore his ACL. So I think Penny is such an interesting story. But if Gainwell's at the top, that must mean they went from last year where they didn't trust him a lot at all to then giving him some more trust in the biggest games of the year and then carrying that trust over to this season, which is pretty cool. And uh, they got a talented running back room. But if Gainwell's the most talented – what does that say about how talented that room is? Yeah, but what do
4: you think? I mean, Kenny Gainwell's 5'9", 200 pounds. I know that in Nick Sirianni's career, offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, they've always had a lead back who got a majority of the carries. They had Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, and then two years in Philadelphia, it's been Miles Sanders. But even if Kenny Gainwell is the quote-unquote starter, do you think we're going to see any running back get a lion share of the carries, or is this really going to be a running back by
8: committee? You know, that's a, that's an interesting, you know, thought bill, because they did have Sanders for two years and you talked about his history here. What does, um, what does Nick Sirianni? Cause I think Sirianni does have some say in the way that he wants some things. We've kind of heard that from him. Like this is the, these guys are going to call their game, but they're going to call it kind of the way that I want to see it done. Um, So he kind of hinted at earlier in training camp at one of the the, the press conferences that, yeah, we want to try to find a Miles Sanders. But is that definitive? Is there not a guy on this roster that is the guy? Look, keep in mind, I think Eagles fans remember Swift had a big game against them. Week one, he had like 144 yards He had a huge game. He didn't have a game close to that the rest of the season. So. Is he a lead kind of back? Probably not. Like by the middle of the year, he had some injury problems in Detroit last year, but by the time he got back, he had kind of been like third or even fourth on their depth chart. And there's a reason that Detroit was willing to kind of move on from him. Um, I know that the running back position is a weird situation right now with pay and all that stuff, but he was still a guy that they were kind of willing to let go and, I don't know that he is a lead back. I think the one guy on this team that profiles as a lead back would be Penny, but he can't stay healthy. So kind of going back to where you started, Bill, I think we're going to kind of see uh, uh, almost like when uh, the Eagles had Westbrook and Buckhalter and uh, who was the third guy in that? Uh, was it Deuce? It Deuce, yes. They had the three guys that uh, they kind of kind of rotated around. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something more to that, but who knows? I think that's – and Saturday night, are you going to see these five guys, Trey Sermon, Boston Scott as well, are you going to see them carry the ball in preseason games? Are you going to risk getting Penny hurt in a preseason game, Swift hurt in a preseason That's why I find Saturday night to be a little interesting. With a position that's so in flux, where do you get the answer to that question? In a preseason game, or are they going to wait to these practices against the Browns and then the Colts the following week? What was it
2: last year against the Browns? They ran the football 11 straight times. I think that's how they started out their first possession. And I think it was mostly Boston Scott getting those carries if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, so maybe you'll see it again.
8: Yeah. And and look, I think that Saturday would be interesting because somebody has to carry the ball. Now it might be yeah. Kennedy Brooks, right? It could be Trent Kennedy Brooks who gets 13 or 14 carries in that game. But you would think if you got five running backs on your roster some of those five have to get touches in that game on Saturday night. So that is one area Saturday that I think the fans, we like to watch skill players. You know, we're not going to sit there fixated on who's playing, you know, while right guard seems to be Cam Jurgens, But we're not going to sit there and be fixated on that. We want to see the skill position players and what those battles look like. I would imagine running back, you're going to get at least a chance to evaluate.
2: I know they used him all over the place in Detroit, but his role here in Philadelphia, I see as being more of a Darren Sproles with they lineup line up in the, in the slot. But Deandre Swift, I, I think Kenny Gainwell will get the most, the most carries of the Eagles backfield. But as far as the guy to get the most attempts for catches, the guy to be lined up and used the most in the, in the most creative sense, I think it's going to be Deandre Swift because of one thing that Nick Sirianni said, well, two things, one, how Swift has been used throughout his career. And two, Nick Sirianni talking about the fact that he doesn't have running back hands. DeAndre Swift has
8: wide receiver hands. He can catch the ball from any angle. How creative do you think they're going to get this year with DeAndre Swift? You know, that's another, I think, wrinkle that we're waiting to see. By the way, Gainwell was a guy that was advertised to have great hands. He played wide receiver at Memphis, and then he came into the league, and the Eagles just don't use their backs in the backfield as receivers all that much. You know, it's weird because Miles Sanders had 50 catches his rookie season. And then he just vanished from the passing game. We haven't seen a receiver in Nick Sirianni's offense really get involved in the pass game. Now, why is that? We've had a lot of discussions. John and I have talked about this a lot. You know, by the time Hertz makes his progression, A.J. Brown's covered, nah. Smith is covered, nah. Goddard's covered, nah. You're not going to the fourth guy. You're taking off. So the running back is generally, unless... They call a play that is set up to get the ball on some sort of screen or bubble or wheel route, where you're looking at the running back first. I think that's why the running backs don't have a lot of catches in this offense. Are you going to throw the ball to A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, or whoever's playing running back? Probably those other three guys first. So I find it interesting when Brian Johnson said, "Hey, we're gonna we want to get the balls the ball in the hands of the best players we got." as he was making a general statement about the the running backs catching the ball because they said at Florida, his running backs caught the ball a lot there. Well, he probably had better running backs than he had pass catchers. So where do they fit on the chart? I don't anticipate seeing some guy catch. He's not going to be Austin Eckler catching 75 passes out of the backfield, I would imagine, probably somewhere in that 30 to 40 range.
4: Let's stick to the running back room, Mike, real quick. So there's basically five guys probably competing for four spots. But you got Kenny Gainwell, 5'9", 200 pounds. DeAndre Swift, 5'9", 208. Boston Scott's only 5'6", 203. So the two big guys in that running back room are Rashad Penny, who's 5'11", 220. And then you have Trey Sermon, two fifteen. Do you think Trey Sermon is going to have a role on this team? They kept him around all year last year on the active roster. They didn't want to risk putting him on the practice squad and another team picking him up. Do you think Trey Sermon makes this team?
8: He's an interesting guy because of his size. And you're right. What what was the big, you know, Mark, you know this, where, where somebody says something in, in May, we're trying to take anything we can in May to be like, Oh, Nick Sirianni mentioned, he said Trey Sermon's name. He didn't say anybody else's name, but he said Trey Sermon's name. What does that mean? Let's try to read the tea leaves on that. Could (laughs) be nothing. I mean, right now, um, Boston Scott, interestingly enough, is the highest paid running back on this team. So does that mean he's more inclined to stay or because he's the highest paid guy does that mean he's more inclined to get uh cut he also has the most experience of all the guys on this team so do they feel like hey he's not our guy but if somebody gets hurt we know he can fill the role he's kind of like that security blanket so that's where sermon might be the odd man out because i can't imagine they keep all five of these guys and if you're going to keep Four, I would think Scott would be the guy they feel more confident in, in, you know, hey, this guy's missing two weeks. He's got a bad uh, ankle, and Boston Scott knows the offense. Hopefully, it falls against the Giants. That would be perfect. But if you just absolutely said, hey, for two weeks, I know I can trust him. I don't know about Trey Sermon. That's why I think he's probably a long shot to make the team. Now, what is Penny's role? Does Penny hold up? Do they say, you know what? We don't know that we could trust him. Does he get nicked up? Is he healthy between now and the cuts? That could be a big role because if he somehow between now and then gets banged up and they're like, ah, here we go again, maybe they feel more comfortable saying, you know what? He's always hurt. That's who he is. We're just going to move on from him and we'll keep sermon. So I think it's a fluid situation based on, you know, believe it or not, these games, they might not have a lot of impact anymore, but there's a lot of things that happen in these, uh, joint practices that will determine who makes a team at running back. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And, and to your point about, uh, Rashad Penny, I don't think there's any question how
2: talented guy is w- What he's healthy, what he's healthy. But I think one of the things the Eagles are going to do, and this goes to the point about why I think a guy like, uh, Kenny Gainwell is going to lead the team in carries is because I think even if Rashad Penny's healthy, he's going to be healthy. Cause they're not going to use him a lot there. I don't want to use the term sparingly. They're going to, Slightly above, in case of emergency, break glass, and they'll access Rashad Penny to break off a big run, get in a goal line situation. They'll limit his production, but they'll well, still use his production.
8: Yeah, remember 2017 where you had Legarrette Blunt and he was kind of your guy, and then they got Jay Ajayi, and then they kind of figured out ways to use both of them. And yeah. Ajayi was running early in the games, and then you got Blunt kind of pounding out late. You might have Penny as the guy if you build up a lead. Hey, you're our fourth quarter guy. We don't want to use you a lot early in the game. But when push comes to shove, now you're going to have to go tackle Penny, who, by the way, I don't know too many running backs that get six yards of carry, and yeah. he's done it twice. <laughs> you know, last year, he churns out six yards every time he touches the ball on average, and he did it a couple of years ago, too. His problem has constantly been injuries. So if he can stay healthy and you can run out a fourth-quarter clock, it's a probably a, a something that the Eagles might be thinking of. Hey, we don't want to use this guy first, second, third quarter But when you have a lead late, you're going to have to bring the big man down. Good luck.
4: (laughs) Yeah, we've been talking a lot about the offense, and I think we all agree. Offense is probably going to be in good shape regardless of who our running backs are. They're just so damn talented. But let's jump over to that defensive side of the ball, Mike. What concerns you the most on that defense? There's been a lot of change this offseason. Defensive coordinator, linebackers, safety. What, What are you most concerned about over there?
8: Oh, man. Um... They got a lot of new faces over there. You got a new coordinator. I know people did not like John Gannon. I was not the biggest John Gannon hater in the world. Um, I say this often. As much as people didn't like Gannon, almost every player on defense last year had the best year they ever had in their career. Every single guy, for the most part, had a career year. I mean, Hassan Raddick, 18 and a half sack. He didn't have 18 and a half sacks in Arizona. He didn't have 18 and a half sacks in Carolina. Uh, Edwards Kaiser White, they both got deals. Marcus Epps, he got a deal. Chauncey Garner-Johnson led the league in interceptions. He got a deal. Bradbury and Slay both had two of the best years they've ever had. Um, Hargrave, he got a deal. You had a ton of guys having career years that you now have to replace. So I think that is – now, while we are excited about the guys who are here to replace them, I like Nicobe Dean a lot. Can he stay healthy? That's a big question that needs to be answered. They obviously don't like their linebacker room. They brought two guys in. I'm not sure those two guys are much of a help. We'll find out. Will they play on Saturday night? I think that's another interesting point. The safety room. You got Reed Blankenship leading the safety room right now. He was an undrafted free agent last year walking around out here, and now he's the guy? Interesting. uh, Now, we hear a lot about this. Well, they're playing a lot of big nickel. So now you have three safeties you're going to put on the field out of a group of safeties you can't identify one, and you're going to put more of them on the field? I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, What do we get from? Jordan Davis, we're hearing good things. How are they going to use them? There's so many questions from a team that has so many new faces on that side, defensive side of the ball. And quite frankly, if you look at the Super Bowl, and would say, even if you love John Gannon, even if he was your, your brother, you would say, well, the defense didn't play great in that game, and now you've lost all those players who had career seasons here, and you're asking this defense, which was number two in the league last year, and people still hated their coordinator – and you're asking this defense to be better than the number two defense in football last year? I think that's a big ask, and <laughs> it's a huge ask. Now let's go back. Let's go back a
2: year, okay, Mike? What if I told you? All right, I'm going to do a thirty for thirty here. Yeah. What if I? What if I told you at last year's training camp that Kayvon Wallace was going to be getting first team reps next year at the safety position? Terrell Edmonds was going to be here. Uh, you were going to draft a guy like Sidney Brown. And those guys are now competing, those three, to be the starting safety next to that undrafted safety that you mentioned in Reed Blankenship, who I thought had a hell of a year last year. Uh, But Kayvon Wallace is very much in the mix to be the starting safety opposite
8: Blankenship. Your thoughts, Mike Gill? It's unfathomable to think that that would be a possibility, right? I mean, look, if I was to give you a full expository on the safety room right now, you couldn't because there's so many question marks in there. Hey, tell me about Terrell Evans. Well, he was drafted in the first round. He's been a pretty big disappointment. Pittsburgh didn't want him. And basically you're picking him up and he's not shining in this room. Doesn't that kind of worry you a little bit to say, hey, here's a guy who's a first-round talent, started in Pittsburgh. You bring him into a room that has a guy – you know, Justin Evans hasn't stepped on a field in like four years. He can't stay healthy. He's the Rashad Penny of safeties over there. You've got Sidney Brown, who obviously everybody wants to see play, but for some reason hasn't moved past the second spot on the depth chart, laying guys out Sunday night at practice, man. He was out there fishing for some uh, exposure. So I think the safety room is a huge problem if Reed Blank- – look, look, Reed Blankenship one of those guys, Steady Eddie. He reminds me of last year. You had Marcus Epps. At this point last- – now, this is something to keep in mind. At this point last year, Marcus Epps, is he? can he be the best safety, a starting safety on a good team? I don't know. We didn't know what to expect from Marcus Epps. And I think the Eagles didn't know what to do either, so they went out and got Chauncey Garner-Johnson. So I would imagine that they are still on their search. But if they don't find someone to upgrade – I think you've got a lot of questions because Blankenship's one of those guys. He'll do his job. Go do your job. Okay, I'm not going to make mistakes. He's one of those guys. He doesn't make a play to help you, but he doesn't make a play to hurt you. So you're not getting playmaking ability from your safety. You're just kind of getting a steady Eddie. They got to find their Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and I don't know that he's on this team right now. That's for sure. <laughs> do you guys see a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson playing that position? That guy had six picks last year. He led the league in interceptions. He missed five games.
2: mm Yeah, no, to answer your
8: question, I don't. Bill, I don't know about you, but I don't don't see that yet. How important is it to have that guy? Mm -hmm. You know, like on a team that doesn't have a lot of playmaking at linebackers, somebody has to be a playmaker, and they don't have them right now. Well, let's talk about
4: something positive with that defense because it's all been negative, but let's talk about something positive. That defensive line looks like they are extremely deep. So they had 70 sacks last year, set a team record, come too shy – of the NFL record, do you see them having a chance with the additions of Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, being able to come close or even surpass those seventy sacks they had last
8: year? It's a tough ask, man. Again, you're you're, you're everybody's frustrated with the coordinator because he didn't blitz enough, and I don't know that you're going to see Sean DeSai blitz any more than John Gannon did because he probably has a similar mindset. We have guys up front that can get the job done. Javon Hargrave, double digit sacks. Brandon Graham had more sacks than another guy had a career year, by the way. Brandon Graham had more sacks last year than he ever had in his career. Um, are you going to ask Brandon Graham again to have double digit sacks a year older? I think that's hard to kind of fathom. Josh Sweat, another guy, had a big career year last year. Is he going to, is Josh Sweat the guy that we saw last year? Uh, is he somewhere be, right below that? Is he still peaking? I think that needs to be questioned. How much are you getting from Jalen Carter? Hassan Reddick had 18 and a half sacks last year. He getting more than that? That's a big ass, don't we think? I mean, even if he gets 15 and a half, every guy has to either match or surpass what they did a year ago. I think that's a pretty big ass. So to see this team getting that many sacks, I got to say, I think it's pretty far-fetched, which means you got to have some more talent on the back end. If you're not getting as much on the front as you got a year ago, and the people still complained, how are you going to compensate by having less on the back end? Keep in mind, Slay, a year older. I'm not saying he's cooked, but he's a year older. Bradbury's a year older. You got questions at safety. You don't have T.J. Edwards. Kaiser White was a very solid linebacker for this team that I think people just kind of took for granted. Now he's gone. You're asking the Kobe Dean to do a lot, man, in that spot, and I don't know who's playing next to him. So, again, if you can't get 70 sacks – You better be better on that back end. And I don't know that that's the case. Uh, Real quick. I want to get this in. It is
2: officially that time of year guys, where Nick Sirianni right before the first preseason game says he doesn't know if he's going to play his starters or not. So that's where we're at. That's uh, according to uh, his press conference. People are tweeting that out right now. So it's pretty much par for the course. Um, Secondly, I want to flip it back on the offensive side of the football for you, Mike. Last one for me. Last question for me. Uh, is this we're kicking this around, Bill and I? Is this the most athletic offensive line you can remember in Eagles' history in terms of guys that'll be able to get off the line of scrimmage
8: and make blocks downfield? Oh, I mean, Lane Johnson was a quarterback. Uh, Cam Juergens played, uh, tight end, didn't Juergens? Wasn't he a tight end originally? moved right, him to center. Uh, Landon Dickerson, he's a he's a guy who can play up and down the line. My lotta, my my lotta thing is funny, like maybe it's funny to me, I don't know, but. Who looked at that guy? He's out there just running dudes over. Not that I'm asking him to play running back. But I look at this guy and say, who said he's a left? Like, I would have looked at that guy and said, he's playing defensive tackle. And he is just running through the the defense. Who's blocking him? Who is blocking Jordan Maialata if you put him at, like, Aaron Donald D-tackle? He would have been the biggest menace ever on defense at his size, speed, and explosion. So to answer your question alone, Milata himself is the most (laughs) athletic, makes this line the most athletic. But yeah, up and down the line, I mean, you're taking a look at, I mean, Kelsey, of all the guys, I don't want to say he's the most unathletic because most people think he is the athletic, but everybody else pretty much played a skill position. Probably Dickerson would be the guy who would be the least athletic of that crew. And that's saying how athletic that this bunch is because Dickerson's a bad dude.
4: So Mike, before before you run though, I got to know we we'll change gears for a second. The Brian prop jersey behind you, the, the guffaw, <laughs> right? That the guffaw?
8: Yeah, yeah. It's signed by the entire <laughs> nineteen eighty seven Flyers uh Stanley Cup finalist team.
1: Wow, that is awesome. awesome.
8: Man. That is fantastic, man. Yeah, Mike, the uh, oh. Halliday back there. By the way, no hitters are, are galore right now. No hitters are the thing. Halliday, baby, I was <laughs> at that game, 2010. Oh wow, that's awesome, man. No, it was incredible. It's such
2: a great night in Philadelphia. Uh, you had a training camp fight and a no hitter in the same day. I mean, come on. One
8: and hits a home run in his first ever major league at bat in the in the day. And Castellanos, by the way. Hit his 200th home run last night. That got lost in the sauce. It was uh, one of the more
2: magical nights in Philadelphia sports history with all the things going on there uh, in South Philly. Mike Gill, ESPN 97.3 South Jersey. Our man, Mike, always great catching up with you, man. Thank you so much. See you, guys. Have a good one, right, brother. The great Mike Gill joining us right there on Birds 365. And in the words of Jody McDonald, Phil, when we come back, you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going to put, put a bow on it. We're going to put a bow on it. Coming up in a little bit, we'll wrap up Burns 365. We'll be right back.
1: G-L-E-X Eagles.
2: Oh my goodness. Okay, so we just talked about the no-hitter last night, Bill. So just real quick, I didn't realize this. Ryan Lawrence, uh, former writer, uh, Eagles beat writer, he hat-tips this to the uh, Anaheim, so-called Anaheim, Los Angeles Angels TV broadcast. Apparently four pitchers have thrown no-hitters that went to Fullerton High School in Fullerton, California. Wow. They got four no-nos. Uh, Walter Johnson, Steve Busby of uh, the Kansas City Royals in uh, 71 uh, 74, Mike Warren in 83 of the Oakland A's, and Michael Lorenzen of the Philadelphia Phillies last night. How incredible is it? Four no-nos. One goes back, Walter Johnson, 1920, with the uh, Washington Senators. That is pretty spectacular. Do you, you watch the no-no? Are you a baseball guy at all?
4: Yeah, I'm a four for four guy, man.
2: Okay, cool. So, yeah, no. Pretty magical.
4: Pretty it was magical. it's crazy since that since that ovation for Trey Turner, it's like everything's changed.
2: <laughs> Trey Turner's hitting 391 since the ovation started, so that's pretty good. And then going out for the ninth inning last night, Michael Lorenzen said when he walked out to the mound, that was the coolest moment of his career. When everyone in Citizens Bank Park stood up to applaud him, he's like that gave me the exact energy boost I needed to complete the no hitter. So basically, uh, let's see. Phillies uh, fans have uh, cured uh, Trey Turner of uh, the yips or whatever <laughs> you would call it in his head, uh, and uh, they have uh, you know my, made Michael Lorenzen a, a no hitter. So yeah, there we go. You know we're having a good week. We're having a good week. Uh, I will say this: uh, a lot of people were wondering as to why the Eagles decided to move practice to Lincoln Financial Field uh, Wednesday. Why they decided to move that to Lincoln Financial Field and Nick Sirianni said during his press conference getting this by way of uh Elliot Shore Parks on Twitter was uh, because he wanted his new coordinators to speak uh, or to have a little bit more experience with communication at Lincoln Financial Field. So game plan Smart. for everything, right? Yeah. Game plan Smart for move. everything. Smart, Smart move. move. And also the first guy out on the field today uh was AJ Brown. Um That's a little surprising, but not negative, obviously. Uh, But he wanted to go out there and run some routes early before everybody else to get out there. So I don't know if he struggled a little bit the other day at the link. I don't know. And he just wanted to get out there and put that behind him as fast as possible. But first man out there on the field. Uh, We got one more practice today. And then we got the Eagles taking on the Ravens on Saturday to kick off preseason play. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and state the obvious. I don't think we're going to see any regular starters out there Outside of maybe Jalen Carter, maybe you see um, you know, some of the younger guys out there get some reps, but I'm really not expecting much. What are you expecting?
4: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see a lot of the older players who are going to contribute to this team, but it's the rookies that I'm excited to see. I hope, I hope they let Nolan Smith play, Jalen Carter play. Everything we've been hearing from training camp is these guys look good. Now I want to see it on the field against other NFL talent. And it'll be exciting to see Nolan Smith be able to take a quarterback down to the ground because you don't know. And in these practices, they consider it a sack, but they blow the play dead. So I'd like to see Nolan Smith come around that edge and be able to take a quarterback down.
2: Now, uh, this is uh, your last day with uh, Birds 365. You've been filling in with me for Jody and John. I'll be on with John McMullen tomorrow. Uh, you have a nice little vacation planned. was so good for you. What w- what thoughts would you like to leave us with for the time being uh, there, Bill, when it comes to what the Eagles will be doing over the coming weeks of training camp while you're, uh, you're, you're basking in the Mediterranean sun? Yeah, I'm headed to Italy. I'm excited about that. <laughs> I am excited about that. The thing I want to
4: say is, look, we're we're nitpicking everything because it's that time of year. It's the preseason. So we're looking at all the question marks on this team. But as Philadelphia Eagles fans and really as Philadelphia fans, we always have a problem with being confident. We never want to say we have a good team. We never want to be excited because we're always worried that something bad is going to happen. This is a very good team. This is a very good team. And let's enjoy the ride because a lot of times we're always so focused on can they win the championship, can they win the championship, that you forget to enjoy the ride. So let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy what we have in front of us. We have a very talented team. We have great leadership. We have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So let's enjoy the ride, Eagles fans. Let's let's go into this season on a high note.
2: Let's savor. Let's savor a little bit. We're going to savor every ounce, every step, everything. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. And as far as Saturday goes, if I get an opportunity to see Nolan Smith play at the NFL level, albeit in preseason, whatever, I'm going to be really excited to see Nolan Smith play at the NFL level. If I get an opportunity to see Jalen Carter move bodies around the way Jordan Davis was in his first preseason game and getting to see him crack through an offensive line with some push, uh, I am going to be very excited. If I get an opportunity for Kayvon Wallace to make some plays in the preseason, the way I saw a guy like, uh, Reed Blankenship make plays in the preseason last year and solidify his spot on the roster for the upcoming season for last year, then I'm going to be very excited to see that. So I think there's going to be a great opportunity here as there usually is every single year for young guys to make the impression. That's what the preseason is there for. I know it's only preseason. I know it's only like an appetizer to the appetizer, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy my apps. I do enjoy my appetizers. And this one right here is going to be a fun one against the Ravens any anything for you there is a little something for me any streak that is a long-lasting streak for instance 23 preseason games in a row for uh the Ravens I want the Eagles to be the team that ends that streak as dumb and as meaningless as it is I want the Eagles to be the ones to snap it does it do anything for you Bill to see the Eagles snap a 23 game preseason game win streak I'd love
4: to agree with you, but I really don't care about it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm surprised. I mean, it's a it's a shocking stat because the yeah, ridiculous. Are, you're, you're playing players that don't even make the team. The fact that they've won so many games, but whether the Eagles win the game or lose the game, I just want to see, number one, they get out of it healthy. And number two, we see some of the guys we're waiting to see play well.
2: Yeah, I, I find it so funny. Like, I don't, uh, yeah, it, it's like I don't care if somebody has that streak. But I would just like the Eagles to break it to be the <laughs> like one. It to just, break. just be the thorn in their side. Just be the thorn in their side. It's all I'm asking. Uh, Bill, this is so much fun, man! Great job by you, uh, co-hosting the show with me, man. A lot of fun working with you. Make sure you guys are checking out Legal Hands to the Face. Any, any, any new episodes dropping while while you're in the uh, the motherland?
4: I'll be. Po- I post daily content on all our social media channels. So head on over to Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, even here on YouTube Shorts. And I'll post content every single day. So hopefully I'm going to be doing the same thing with maybe a better backdrop. A little Coliseum, Florence, maybe some Venice canals. So be sure to check out Legal Hands to the Face on all your social channels.
2: There he is. Bill Colorado joining us uh, on Birds 365, Legal Hands to the Face. My name is Mark Farzette. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow with uh, – uh, John McMullen, he'll be in for the entire show, so I look forward to breaking down all things Eagles from practice today with John McMullen right here on Birds Three Sixty Five for Jody McDonald, for John McMullen, of course, and Bill Calarulo as well. Uh, great, and thank you for joining us here uh, throughout uh, the last couple of days, and we'll be back with you guys tomorrow. See you then.
0: You've been listening to Birds Three Sixty Five. <laughs>
8: on Birds 365.